You are useless. I'm not useless, I'm useful. The moment I said those first words, you are useless, the moment they came out of my mouth, I knew I had done something wrong. I had crossed the line. And the moment that young man responded to me, his face had changed from this Henri, I'm testing the teacher sort of look that I had grown to despise over the three days that I had been teaching him to an utterly horrified, frightened look. My words hit their mark, but my mark was sinful and wrong. As soon as I said those things, I said, you guys just stay here for a few minutes. I've got to step outside. Because I knew I had hurt this young man and I had violated a trust. The situation was our mission meeting for all the missionaries from South Africa, Botswana, Mozambique, Zambia, Namibia, all together in one conference center. And as a journeyman missionary, they had asked me to teach basically vacation Bible school to the fifth and sixth graders. And I had one young man in that class that was a little smarter than all the rest, and he could be a bit of a smart mouth, and his name was Brian. And I had had it up to here with Brian, because he always had a comeback, and he was always more clever, and I didn't even know the kid other than just meeting him a few days previous, but I knew that it was like he was my nemesis in class. I'm trying to teach a job I didn't ask for, but I just got because I'm, you know, 23 and I'm the missionary kid. They can make you do whatever they want because they're in charge, the real life career missionaries, you know. So I'm resenting this because of this young man, and I finally lost it. And I told him he was useless. I walked out of that room, and I was just horrified at myself. I've done bad things before, I'm not perfect. I still do sinful things. But I was horrified that I had hurt that child that way. And I thought, what would I do? What should I do? And I thought, I need to go find my boss. His name is Ron. And Ron, uh, you know, was 15, 16 years older than me and had been a missionary and knew this young man and knew his family. And I went and I found Ron and I told him what I did. And he said, well, what do you say we should do about it? He put it back on me. I said, we need to go back and I need to ask Brian's forgiveness. And then I need you to go with me to his parents to tell him what I did. So Ron graciously walked back across that campus with me. We walked in. The teenagers, whew, well, they weren't teenagers, but preteen, a hush entered in the room because not only was it me, but Ron, and he's a big man. And I looked Brian right in the eye and I said, Brian, I need to ask you to forgive me. I shouldn't have said that about you. And God bless that kid. He looked at me and he said, you know what? I've treated you bad this week. Will you forgive me? And so here I am with a kid I hardly know with my boss behind, beside me and all these other fifth and sixth graders around. And we're hugging and crying. It went from totally terrible to totally wonderful. But I still felt such pain and grief and shame. I said, Brian, can we go and talk to your mom and dad right now? He said, why don't we finish this lesson? I'll behave. <laughs> so I looked at my boss. I said, thanks, Ron. And we eased back into the lesson. And that was a change that happened. Because I did something terrible. And I hurt Brian. But then I asked his forgiveness. And he asked my forgiveness. And the way I related to those kids then changed forever. 
bunch of those kids are my Facebook friends now, and they all remember that. Our topic today is being the person God uses. Being useful. But all of us at times have felt useless, either because of something we have done or something we have not done, or because of something someone else has done or said to us, or a combination all the above. But God has called us to be useful, to bring glory to Him through our giving our lives to Him and our service of others. The exercise of otherish love that is God-powered, that is other-focused and self-sacrificing. And so, as we follow along in 2 Timothy, and if you haven't opened already, please do so. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20 through 26 will be our key text today. We're reminded of where we come from. That the very first verses of 2 Timothy that we got into four or five weeks ago, we, was Paul encouraging his spiritual child, his son in the ministry. And we're calling this series to be continued because on this earth. And you're going to continue pastoring this church in Ephesus that I founded. The second sermon we had in our series was about guarding the trust. The trust being the gospel. That God sent Jesus to save anybody who would believe in him from their sins. And that Jesus resurrected from the dead to demonstrate his power over death and sin. Our third sermon was about working for the gospel, that we were strengthened by it, teaching it, examples of it. And then last week, we talked about dealing with false teachers. But this week, our text somewhat is a bridge from where we've been to where we're going. And some commentators believe these verses are talking to uh, true teachers of the gospel. Others think that they're talking to all believers in Jesus. I don't think you can come down too firmly on one way or the other. And I do believe that even if it was just talking to teachers only, that there's something that all of us can learn. Because in a sense, no matter who you are, no matter what your roles are in this life, other people are watching you and you are teaching them, even if you don't think you are. So if you're able to stand with me in the honor of reading God's word, would you do that? In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 20 through 26. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for noble purposes, some for ignoble. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, he will be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone and able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Thank you. You may be seated.
Verse 20 says, In a large house there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for noble purposes and some are for ignoble. Your house may be like my house. In our kitchen, we have cabinets. And in our cabinets, we have dishes. Different dishes for different things. But if you were to come into my house and look and see, you know, the little cabinets that many times are up above your refrigerator... Uh, we have those little cabinets in our house. You know, they're kind of shorter and they're way up there. And you really got to get a chair to stand up to get above the refrigerator to get them. You want to know what's in those cabinets in my house? Our fancy dishes. Up in there, we have the dishes, the china we registered for when we got married like 22 years ago almost now. And unfortunately, we don't get it out enough. Every now and then, we'll be like, hey, let's bust out the fancy dishes. And the kids come to the table. They're like, what are we eating off this stuff for? You know, and everybody wants to immediately stick up their pinkies and be real dainty because it just looks different. It feels and sounds different. Those dishes are set aside for a special purpose. Paul uses that analogy to talk to us as people. That some of us have things that are common, we're the everyday dishes, and we might have some chips and scratches, and people just shuffle us around and toss us in the dishwasher or the sink. They don't care about us. Or uncommon, wholly set aside, like the fancy china that you have to stick up your fingers when you're using. But notice how he draws that analogy and why he draws that analogy. He's really getting to the point, and this is your first point on your outline, your first question is, what kind of person am I? What kind of person am I? Am I a person that is rough and tumble, ignoble, or am I a person that is noble and set aside? Paul's going to explain this further to us in these next few verses, but let's ask a question going, frankly, to the last verse in this passage. Am I senseless and captive to Satan? That's the next point on your outline. When I ask him, what kind of person am I? Am, am I somebody that's really just senseless and captive to Satan? Some of us have been senseless. Well, some of us make a career being senseless. Others of us are senseless at certain times or given the moment. But look at what he says in verse 26, the end of our passage. And he says, and that they will come to their senses. So in other words, the people that are the ignoble type, those that aren't useful to God, are senseless. And notice what it says, and they will escape from the trap of the devil. They are captive by Satan. We all have our moments. No matter who you are, no matter how long you've walked with Jesus, there are some temptations, there are some moments when you get down and where you become captive even temporarily to Satan. And you do his will rather than God's will for your life. You give in to temptation and you sin. And you're captive to Satan. But again, as I said, some people make a career of it. So our, my question for me is, am I that type of person that's senseless? I'm not thinking rationally, wisely, using knowledge or wisdom, and I'm not living a life that's set aside to God? And am I captive to Satan? Well, there's a second kind of person contrasted in this passage of Scripture. And that one, the next one on your bulletin there, or is the question is, or set aside serving God. Because that's really the juxtaposition here. That's really the two sides of the continuum. One is senseless and captive to Satan. On the other end is the one that's set aside and serving God. 
One is unrighteous, the other is righteous. One is ignoble, the other is noble. One is of the false teachers pursuing evil. The other is of the righteous teachers pursuing God. And this verse 21 then says, If a man cleanses himself from the latter, that's ignoble, he will be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do good works. If you cleanse yourself, that's confession of sin. That takes humility to say, you know, God, I've sinned, I've done wrong. And we come to him for three things that happen, that we're holy, we become useful, and we're prepared to do good works. We're made holy means to be set apart, to do what God intends us to do. If you were to read over in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, it says, it is because of him, God, who chose the weak and the foolish and those that were not, that you are in Christ Jesus, so it's because of God's will that we're saved, who has become for us the wisdom from God that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. So it's by God's choosing us, not anything we have done, that we are set aside to be holy. And so when we ask the question, what kind of person am I? All of us, that's the first question there. What kind of person am I? All of us start that way, that we're set aside as senseless in serving Satan. But we can, if we submit ourselves to God, be made holy and useful for Him. Think about what 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 and 25 says. It says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets a prize? Run in such a way to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. That our holiness and righteousness bought with the redemption of Jesus is something that is eternal. So we started with this first question. What kind of person am I, senseless and captive to Satan or set aside in serving God? Let's move on to the second question that's on your screen now. And that's how should I, and my word is, conduct myself? How should I conduct myself? I did not understand about how electricity was conducted until I got in the middle of it one time when I was a child. <laughs> Um, we had a tent and we would occasionally go to state parks or something like that. And so we were going to do a camping trip like that the next weekend. And so my dad said, oh, it's been a while since we got out the tent. Let's get out the tent and put it up in the backyard. And so, of course, I thought it was great fun. Go play in the tent, invited my buddies over. And then we came up with a great idea. Let's spend the night in the tent. It'd be like camping in our own backyard. Surely our mom and dad will say yes to that. So uh, only one of my buddy's parents thought it would be a good idea. So me and my buddy from across the street, Chris Fisher, are camping in the tent. Now, uh, even back then, we decided to get a little fancy. You know, we start out with, hey, we're sleeping on the floor. But then I'm like, I think we have some cots. So we went and got the cots. So we're sleeping up off the floor. Well, it's kind of warm out here because it's, you know, June in Texas. 
I've got a fan, or my dad has a fan in the um, garage. And so I went and got the fan. And then we had to move the cot so we would both get some of the fan. And then we're just antsy. And I thought, you know, I have this little old black and white TV, and I can go get that. And we'll watch TV out here, and our mom and dads won't know. I mean, other than the glowing from the tent or whatever. And between my sweaty hands and the electric outlet, when I went to plug in that little TV, I blew the circuit and I blew myself literally across the floor of the tent. And I learned what it meant to conduct electricity. And that kind of electricity, 110 volts, kind of hurts, right? But when we talk about how to conduct ourselves, we are talking about how we act. And how we act flows from who we are. Sometimes people can fake it, but you know, if you've been around a while, you can look at their face and you can say, I think that guy's faking it. And their nonverbal shows it. The way they say what they say shows it. Look at our first point for this one is from verse 22. It says, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, and love and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So your first question there is pursuing godliness. Am I a person that is conducting myself in a way that demonstrates the pursuit of godliness? Go back to your scripture. What does verse 22 says? Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue. These two things cannot be more different. Flee is running away from something. Pursue is running to something. But look what the scripture says. Flee the evil desires of youth. All the things that are natural and tempt us, temptations when you're senseless and when you're captive to Satan. We're supposed to flee those things. It's emphatic in the Greek. Don't mess around with it. Run the other way, kid. And pursue, what does it say? Righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Because you've been saved, because you've been set aside, you have the purity of heart, you have the Holy Spirit within you, therefore you have the ability to pursue these things. That word pursue is not half-hearted, that is follow hard after. That is you're running as hard as you can because you're afraid for your life. When we lived in our little house in Texas, Seth was a toddler. Mary Elizabeth hadn't come along quite yet. And our house was a uh, acreage lot that was kind of skinny to the road but went back deep. And I'm by the house doing some landscaping. And Seth was out there with me toddling around, you know. And I looked up and I noticed I didn't see Seth anywhere. And I looked towards the road and he was at the road leaning over to touch the white line on the edge. This is a country highway where people drive 50, 60 miles an hour. I yelled out, Seth! Shoom! I can't run that fast because I'm wearing these church shoes, okay? I don't think I've ever sprinted so fast in my entire life as I'm looking down the road to make sure nobody is coming. And sure enough, here comes a big Ford pickup truck, and I'm like, ah! The Ford pickup truck, as I'm getting there, slams on his brake. The dude jumps out of his truck, swoops up my son for me, and hands him to me, almost in a single motion. And I hugged the man. I said, thank you, thank you. He said, man, I live on a country road, too. I've seen it happen before to my kids. I know how you feel. You take care of that boy, and don't let him wander by the street again. I said, yes, sir. 
my heart was still jumping out of my chest. Seth thought he had done something wrong. He was just being a kid. I'm the adult. I'm supposed to be in charge. But I ran after him so hard because it was literally a matter of life and death. Scripture paints that picture for us that we were to pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace because it's a matter of life and death. Not just for those of us who are saved, we're already going to heaven, but for those who are observing our life that have not yet trusted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord. What we're supposed to pursue? Righteousness, the purity that comes only from God. Faith, and that word faith there is actually better translated faithfulness. You think about what Galatians 5, 22 and 23 says. You write that down. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Well, let's read it together. I should take time for all of us to read it and lay our eyes on it. Galatians chapter 5, if you'll turn over. Verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. That last part, against such there is no law, means people wouldn't argue about that. Those are all good things. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. That faithfulness demonstrates our godliness, our righteousness, the part that we are set aside and that we pursue peace. Romans 12, 18. Most of us need to write this one down and memorize it. Romans 12, 18 says, As far as it's up to you, seek to be at peace with all men. That a hallmark of believers in Jesus ought to be that we seek to be at peace. So we pursue godliness. Your next question there comes from verse 23. And that's that we exercise wisdom. That as believers in Jesus who are seeking to be useful to God, to bring glory to Him, we pursue godliness in the way we live, but that we exercise wisdom. So notice there's two parts of that. Wisdom is not so much what you know, but it is how you use what you know. And it's an exercise thereof. It's the application of knowledge is what we're talking about. What does it say in verse 23? Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know that they produce quarrels. Okay, time out. How many of us have something to do with foolish and stupid arguments regularly? The ESV calls these ignorant controversies. Controversies meaning uh, in the Greek investigations or discussions. And the word foolish there is actually moros in the Greek where we get our word moron from. When I was a kid, I used to watch the Three Stooges on, you know, before I went to school in the morning. Yeah. You know, we had the old black and white Three Stooges shows. If you've never seen them, they were kind of rough on one another and pretty mean, right? And they would call each other names, and one of them would be moron. And so, of course, I called people moron until I learned what moron meant. And then I thought, well, that's not very nice of me. I shouldn't call people a moron. And there's actually a diagnosis based on IQ that is called a moron, so that's not kind at all. But the Bible tells us don't argue with folks about stuff like that because as you know if it's an argument it very well may produce a quarrel so we have to weigh out how we live our lives in reference to these things 
Your question next is, how do I deal with disagreements? So in this passage of Scripture today, let's think about where we started 20 minutes ago, right? We started with, you ought to be set aside. You ought to be different. And then we talked about how you ought to live your life and what you ought to do. And now we're getting a little more specific in an area of our life that all of us, if you're human, is gonna, are going to have instances with some more than others, and that's dealing with disagreements. Uh, you know, this week I broke one of my rules. I engaged people on social media about a topic that, uh, because the way our world is and the political parties, has become political even though I see it as moral and theological. And I always try to be reasonable and respectful. The problem is not everybody else is reasonable and respectful back. And um, some folks are really quite ugly and quite mean. And, you know, it always surprises me that I'm still surprised that people would be ugly to me when we disagree about something. And so I even wrote, I mean, in my trying to deal with this and think about this, the next day I even wrote a blog post about it. uh, And that's on my website, AaronHouseholder.net. More than ever, I said, our nation troubles me. When a hopeful exchange of ideas blows up into a battle simply because of different viewpoints, you'd think I'd have learned by now. When a reasonable discussion crumbles as one seems only desirous to prove themselves right, rather than consider that they both might be wrong, you'd think I'd have learned by now. When politicians, apparently more concerned about their office and the possession of power rather than serving others, act like politicians, you'd think I'd have learned by now. When any call for unity in an attempt to find common ground is met with distrust or even contempt because we're so divided, you'd think I'd have known by now. And I said of myself, God bless me for wishing we could be kind to one another, discuss ideas freely without fear, Seek good greater than ourselves. Interact like reasonable people and treat others no matter who they are with respect. You'd think I'd have learned by now. And then I quoted a friend with apologies to King David. Some trust in orange men, others trust in women in white. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Trusting God. You'd think I'd have learned that one by now too, right? And friends, I've got to admit, sometimes it's easy for me to trust God. Other times I want to do it my way. And then I act senseless. And I act like I'm captive to the devil when I know better that I should be trusting God. Even with, especially with dealing with disagreements. Let's come back to your scripture and your outline. On verse 24, we have that question of with a gracious attitude. That we should deal with any disagreement in our life with a gracious attitude. What does verse 24 say? Verse 24 is, and the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. So, it says in my NIV, must not quarrel. It may say in your Bible, must not be quarrelsome. So, is it an action or is it a being? It's a being that flows from action. Uh, The Greek is somewhere in the middle. That's why it's translated two different ways. Instead, We must be kind to everyone, able to teach and not resentful. Kind is a positive characteristic. It's a Greek word that's often translated as mild. It's a word used of a mother nursing her child. It's that sort of tenderness. Next time somebody wants to argue with you or you want to argue with somebody else, think about a mother nursing her child and that sort of kindness and that sort of compassion in the way that you deal with the other person. 
It says we're supposed to be able to teach. That's a positive characteristic. You know the cliche, and it's cliche because it's true. People don't know how much or care how much you know till they know how much you care. We've got to demonstrate our love to others, not just the fact that we want to be right and prove ourselves right. Gracious in our attitude with others and not resentful. Your Bible might say patiently enduring evil. It might use the word humble or courteous or considerate or meek because it's based on that Greek word so often translated meek. That it speaks to the manner in which we disagree with people. Look on in verse 25. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. Now, I need to take a time out here. I need to remind us that just because you're sitting here listening to me preach this sermon, that doesn't mean you and me are always the ones that are right. Can I get an amen? That in our humility, in our gentleness, we need to be able to listen clearly to the other person who we may be on opposite sides in opinion with. And we may need to moderate our opinion. We may need to, at least if we can't moderate our opinion, be courteous and humble in the way we deal with them and demonstrate the best of Christ's likeness to them, especially in a disagreement. What does verse 25 say? Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct. Your last question there is trusting God to change hearts. When you clobber somebody to win an argument, you're probably not going to change their heart. If anything, you're going to push them further to their opinion. We've got to be gentle and kind and trust God to change them. And so, friends, that's more than just the engagement of the discussion. That is you praying for them that God would speak to them in ways that you can't. That is you being humble before them and loving toward them and serving them in a way to demonstrate you care for them even if you can't or don't disagree or agree, excuse me. By our love, we show others. You've got your scripture memory verse for the month up there and then we've got two more questions before you put away your outline. But our scripture memory verse for the month applies to today's sermon as well. And let's read it together. 2 Timothy 3, 14 and 15. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus, 2 Timothy 3, 14 and 15. And you've got two questions based on this scripture to apply our sermon today. And the first question that's on your outline there for your thought is, what have I learned or decided today? Paul said, but as for you, as for you. Continue in what you've learned and become convinced of or decided. What have you been convinced of today that's changed your mind about how you should seek God differently and relate to others differently? Write that down. Does it have to do with your being? Does it have to do with your doing? Does it have to do with your arguing or disagreeing? That you realize that something that you have been or done is wrong, maybe even sinful? You need to confess that right now. And the second question, 
What will I do to become the person God uses? What will I do to become the person God uses? It may be that you need to interact with the Bible more so that God will speak to you by His Holy Spirit. It may be that you need to pray more for yourself. It may be that you need to pray more for the other person. It may be that you need to practice a certain habit, a skill, seek a certain biblical character quality, that God would work in you in a way that changes you so that you might be useful, not useless. Let's pray together. Our Father, as we think about our words, or your words today from Scripture that we've learned, we ask that you'd speak to us still, that by your Spirit, even as we pray, we would know who you've called us to be, how you've called us to live, and we'd surrender ourselves to you. God, may we be the people that seek you in all that we do. Father, we lift up to you those who need to trust Christ as their Savior and Lord here today, that they'd make that decision. And for all of us that are believers in Jesus, that as we see this table set before us to remember you, that we would seek to purify our hearts in order to be ready. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.